what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. She never gave up on anything. She was always like whatever we needed, whatever. And I think that's obviously where I get my drive from. What is it that I love, you know, that makes me happy, that makes me feel like complete. There's no failure option here. It is like, I have to make this work. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us again today. I'm Asha Gabriel. And I'm Kashia Rosenberg. And together we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. Welcome back. Our guest today is Vanessa Bourne. For those of you with curiosity about or aspirations to open a fitness studio, this is the episode for you. Vanessa is a friend of mine, and time and time again, I've been wowed by her tenacity as an entrepreneur and her crystal clear understanding of what people desire in a studio experience, from branding to class style to staffing and more. She's also just a lovely person with a uniquely grounded and calming presence. Vanessa has been in the business of offering health and wellness services in the form of fun and energetic connections for over 15 years in Orange County. And she lives here with her son, who is six years old, and his name is Kingston. Early rooted in yoga and Pilates, she opened her first Legree Method studio using the Megaformer called Pilates Plus OC in 2008 that quickly grew to three successful locations throughout Orange County. She operated those locations for almost 10 years and then sold them to start her two new fitness concepts, which are Box House and Ekam Yoga and Pilates. Box House is a state-of-the-art modern boxing-inspired fitness studio providing group and private training located in Newport Beach. Its sessions boost empowerment and self-confidence in a judge-free environment. Simply stated, it's boxing made for everyone and anyone. It's safe, it's welcoming, it's motivating. The studio is decked out with the most modern amenities and the coolest boxing gear, accessories, and apparel. The company is now building a franchise platform to expand the Box House brand, expected to launch summer 2022. Ekam Yoga and Pilates is a compassionate and caring wellness community created around forming a healthy lifestyle. Offering group or private classes, yoga or Pilates sessions, and a variety of wellness workshops. You can also enjoy the pleasures of a self-serving alkaline water station, organic tea bar, kombucha bar, showers, lockers, and an amazing retail store with all the best finds. Both Box House and Echo now offer on-demand options that Vanessa expects will create a large window of growth as the brands expand. As you can probably tell from this intro, they are just blowing up and Vanessa's done so much work to really create these amazing communities. So We are thrilled today to take it back to the beginnings with her and share her formative youth and teen experiences. Welcome and meet Vanessa Bourne. Hi, guys. Thank you. That was was very, uh, very (laughs) cool to hear. (laughs) It's a lot that you've accomplished, so we're so excited to have you. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be on here with you all. And I mean... I think too, there's so many careers and things in the fitness industry or wellness industry, but I've been so fascinated with your story because they're very, I mean, to create studios, like functioning physical businesses and pretty much on your own, it is so fascinating to me because you have put together this like cocktail each time that really has worked. So I'm excited for us to like dive into it, but also like take it back to like where it started and your motivations to do 
all of these amazing businesses where they came from. So I guess we can like start right at the at the beginning, like where you were born, where you grew up, what your family was like. Yes, of course. Born and raised in LA, West Hollywood, actually, like Melrose, Fairfax, pretty much where. And my parents are both immigrants. They both moved here. My mom is Ecuadorian from South America. My dad is Bulgarian, he's Bulgarian-Italian. Both moved to LA, met each other in LA and had, you know, me and my sister and pretty much all my youth in LA. I moved to Miami when I was, I went there the first time when I was 17 as just as a vacation, like I think it was spring break and I loved it, fell in love with Miami, moved there when I was 19 officially and stayed there for about five years, got my real estate license while I was there did real estate for probably, I would say, seven or eight years. Got my license in Miami, got my license in New York because I did some stuff there. And then I got my license in back in LA because I kind of moved back this way and did some real estate in Vegas before the crash when Vegas was kind of booming. And yeah, so kind of did my real estate thing for a good amount of time. I, you know, just loved being able to just have my own hours, have my own schedule. I never really saw myself in a nine to five job. So at the time when I moved to Florida, I was flipping houses with my ex-fiance at the time. And that was really fun. Like, you know, from building to buying to reselling and just the whole process I was involved in. And that was really a really good learning experience. I, I think I'm pretty good at sales. So that's kind of, it just kind of felt natural to me. And then eventually I moved back to LA, you know, kind of moved around, lived in Montreal for some time. And when I decided to kind of stop selling or stop doing real estate, it was kind of right before the crash. And I just kind of felt like I needed to do something else. It didn't feel good for me to, I don't know, I could tell it was just about to burst. Like it just didn't feel like, yeah. you know, I wanted to be in that business anymore. And I thought to myself, well, what do I really love doing? Like, what is it that I love, you know, that makes me happy, that makes me feel like complete. And fitness has always been a big part of my life. I started yoga probably when I was about 17 or 18. And then when I moved to Miami at 19, I really got into it. And my first kind of love was Ashtanga yoga. And I kind of, you know, that's how I kind of got into fitness was obviously just me personally kind of diving into yoga, the yoga practice and probably doing it four or five days a week. And then when I moved back to California, I still consistently did, you know, my yoga and, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna open a yoga studio. And that was, I think Yoga Works was around and there was, mm -hmm. you know, some other good, you know, yoga brands, but it wasn't as crazy as it has been probably in the last, you know, decade. Again, this was, I'm 42. This was you know, 20 something years ago. But when I finally decided to kind of put together a business plan for it, it was probably like 2006, 2007. And then I went ahead and opened my first Pilates studio in 2009, 2008, 2009. And so when I put that plan together, it kind of came from, okay, I want to open a yoga studio that had yoga, that had Pilates and that had spin, all three concepts in one. And that was like the original plan. I kind of needed a lot of funding for that, a lot of you know, startup capital for that. And it just seemed to be just too much of a mountain to take on at the time. So I kind of, after putting this plan together, I said, okay, why don't I sit down here and think about which one of these three modalities I really, really love. And I think that I would want to do for the rest of my life and something that I could duplicate the easiest. And for me, that was, that ended up being Pilates. So, so that's kind of where it I veered into Legree method. I discovered the megaformer and I kind of really ended up loving that. I was, again, I was in my twenties. So it's Legree method's a little bit more like, you know, kick butt 
kind of Pilates, mm-hmm. it, even though it originated, it was based on the Pilates concept and, you know, the Pilates machine and all that. But he kind of took it and made it into like this, you know, a little bit of a monster kind of workout. So it was fun. It was, I, you know, I was in my 20s and I probably had that studio for like an almost 10 years before I sold it to one of my instructors and then decided to open this boxing concept because I wanted something that just, you know, that didn't really exist yet, that wasn't really around. There was a lot of spin studios at the time. My husband owned Grit Cycle and now owns Boxy. He had spin concepts at that time. So I kind of feel when that was transitioning, I said, what's missing in, especially in our community here in Orange County? Like we had LA Boxing at one point, And I think that's pretty much any, like as far as group boxing was concerned, that's about all that was kind of available. So I had gone to New York, I don't know, maybe the summer before that and had went to a place called Shadow Boxing. I think Rumble had might've just opened or maybe it hadn't yet, but we we kind of discovered some really cool concepts that really weren't anywhere else but there. And so I wanted to kind of create something similar to those, but, you know, our concept. Make it be your own. Yeah. Yeah. Just boxing. Whereas some of those other studios have like, you know, boxing and weights and boxing and that. So we were just strictly boxing and we kind of came up with this concept with my partner, Andre, came up with the class structure and all that and, and made it something that I think is pretty unique still, even now with a bunch of other boxing available, you know, boxing workouts that are available now. We still kind of stand apart, I think, when when you compare us to other places. So yeah, so then we opened Box House and that was about 2018 when I sold Pilates Plus and opened Box House. And at the same time, within 30 days apart from each other, I also opened Ekam Yoga and Pilates. It was a pretty busy beginning of that year for me. And again, Ekam Pilates came up from wanting something a little less aggressive on the body. I was, you know, coming up to my late thirties at that time. And I thought, okay, like something that's still like, I still love Pilates, but I didn't want to get into the, you know, don't want to insult anybody, but I didn't want to get into like the grandma rehab style Pilates yeah. that, <laughs> you know, is mostly available at most Pilates studios. Cause I think those traditional studios, you know, run from maybe like two to six reformers and so I wanted it to still be like a workout, but not so aggressive. And so that's how I came up with the Ekam concept. And we used a custom reformer built by Balanced Body, which is, you know, one of the longest machine building reformer builders in, you know, in our time. And so we opened that studio around the same time, again, with a month of each other. And, and yeah, now it's been about four and a half years since those opened and wild made it through the pandemic somehow. Yeah, yes. But uh, yeah, wow. you know, it's so funny. A, I didn't know that you had a background in real estate. And I think that that actually, it makes a lot of sense when you think about like how successful you've been in opening physical locations for these studios, yeah. because so much of like what, whether or not your studio succeeds is like, is it in the right area? Yeah. Does it have parking? Is there visibility? Like, you know, it has to, all these things have to kind of come together. And then also like, are you in a place where you can afford a lease when you're starting and doing all these different things or, you know, whatever, however you kind of structure your real estate for your business too. So I didn't know that. And that like, that does inform probably a lot of your decisions when you were actually taking the leap of a physical location. That definitely helped me with like the negotiation of leases because I was on the other side of it. You know, usually I did a lot of commercial retail leases as well. So I Mm -hmm. worked in that aspect. I did residential too. That was kind of where I started. And then I kind of veered into residential sales and like high-rise buildings. Obviously I was in Miami and that, that's like high-rise buildings are galore over there. Yeah. And then when I sold Vegas in Vegas, I also did a lot of high-rises there. But then I started kind of dabbling into the retail 
market and the retail industry. And that's so I would negotiate leases for stores, but I would be like the landlords, usually, you know, representing either the landlord or the tenant. So I kind of did a lot of a lot of leases that helped me with my then, you know, leases afterwards. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that totally computes. I mean, I, I feel like even being in real estate right now, I think that, you know, as someone who's always been curious about having like a physical location for a business, that's probably like one of the most intimidating things is like, okay, like at some point you got to pick a place and you got to take a risk and you got to yeah. install everything and, and, you know, really like put together a vision and it may work, it may not. And I'm excited to kind of like get more into that process and the very beginnings of it for you and kind of how you, you know, what, like at what point you got to the, like over the hump and you're like, okay, this is sustainable. Like we're going to stay. Yeah. But yeah, I want to I definitely get into that. I think that I'm kind of backtracking now that you're saying like, and Box House for about four and a half years. And that was close to, I think, when I moved down here was when they were just opening. And I had come from LA and like you were saying, there were like a couple LA boxing studios, like Prevail was one I used to go to. Oh, yeah, 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 then, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was in Santa Monica, right? There were a couple. There's one in Santa Monica. There's one in West Hollywood-ish. But yeah, it was like, you're right. They were like boxing, but then also you kind of like do circuits and stuff. And they were cool, but you definitely made your own take on it. So I remember coming down here and I'm like, oh, cool. A boxing studio is opening in Orange County. Yeah. Like, this is great. But there was definitely that dichotomy when it came to Pilates where it's like either it's like Legree because Legree had his own studios in L.A. Right. Where he would actually teach. And I went to a couple and he even had one where it's like the reformer was on hydraulic lifts and stuff. So you like... Yeah. It was very intense, like very effective. It was a 20 minute workout. They had to make it that short because it was that it's intense. So intense. And like heavy weights, heavy springs, just very intense energy, effective yes. workout. But I feel like as I've gotten a little bit older, I also feel like, okay, sometimes like I feel like if you're not ready for that energy, you can actually injure yourself. Yes. Because it's so heavy. There's a lot of injury when it comes to yeah. energy. Listen, when you're in your 20s, great, you know, like I think your body is a little more resilient. But as you get into your 30s, 40s, then plus that, you know, it's just you need to kind of love your body a little bit more and treat it a little better if you want it to to last longer. Yes. <laughs> but I think we've also like all been to one of those Pilates classes where it's just like it's so slow. You know, you're like, OK, am I this took us like a long time to like do eight reps of one exercise yes. on a very light spring. And, like, I get so bored. I think there's definitely a healthy balance between the two but I also feel like it takes time and I don't know what it is I I love Pilates like I've done Megaformer for like the bulk of 10 years and it's like when you downgrade to something else or you move to a slower pace you're almost like is this as effective but it's just really learning how to listen to your body you know you don't necessarily have to be 10 feet in the air with a hydraulic lift shifting on your side with like 50 (laughs) pounds of weight loaded on you in order to yeah. get like really great results. For sure, for sure. <laughs> I'm really curious because you mentioned this sort of at the beginning and you've had a very cool, like eclectic journey, I feel like from like coast to coast and like you've done a lot in that time. I want to take it back really quick because you said you're actually native Los Angeles, which is like yeah. super, super rare. So I'm kind of curious, like where did this like immense drive and like, you know, it sounds like you just, kind of like jump from one thing to the next. It was all like within like this logical pathway, but it's not very common that somebody had the guts to like go out and just like keep trying these new things. So I'm 
curious to know what it was like being like a younger version of you, what growing up in LA was like, and like what really drove you to, you know, move to Miami and, you know, start all of these endeavors. Yeah. I think my mom is, it was a big, big influence in my life. My mom and dad both, you know, both still alive. Thank you. Thank God that they're still very much a part of me and my sister's life. My mom was, obviously they're both immigrants. They, like I said earlier, my mom worked as hard as she possibly could to kind of give us everything we could possibly have. You know, she was raised in Ecuador, like very poor in this third world country. She came here when she was, I think, probably about 19 and 18 or 19. And when she moved here. She had me at 28. She worked, you know, her butt off to just, you know, again, private school, Catholic school. She's Catholic, raised me Catholic. I'm actually converted to Judaism. But she raised me Catholic and, you know, it just, she never gave up on anything. She was always like whatever we needed, whatever. And I think that's obviously where I get my drive from. That resilience. Yeah. Yeah. And she was actually the person that gave me, I had some money of my own to start my business. I had saved up some money doing real estate. We first opened our, me and my business partner opened our first plugs plus location. We still needed some extra funds. So we got a bank loan. We got some money from my mom and her dad. And my mom gave me, you know, basically like all the money she had at that time. And so it was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get emotional because I mean, I was like, oh shit, like you have to succeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was no like, oh, what if this doesn't work? Like, I mean, my business partner at the time, you know, it comes from a different upbringing and a different story. So for her, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, great. <laughs> But for me, yeah. it was like a serious situation. And it was like, there is no what ifs, like this yeah. has to work. And so I think when you come from that position and I'm kind of in a similar position now, even though it's a little different, it's not my mom's money, but we're, we have a lot of investors that are investing in our new franchise role and our model. And it's a lot of pressure, but I think I really work the best under pressure when it comes to everything. <laughs> I mean, not that I wait till the last minute, but I just like being under under pressure when it comes to when it comes to work. Not personal yeah. life. But when it comes to work, I really love it. I, I kind of thrive on that energy and that excitement and that like go, go, go. So yeah, so I think that that's a major reason as to my success is not only the drive of the resilience, the, you know, from my mother, but also the fact she invested in me and believed in me that I just was like, there's no failure option. There's no failure option here. It is like, I have to make this work. So she got her money back. Yeah. And so it's, I think that's a big part of my drive. And were you always like this, like as a young girl, like in your teen years and stuff, like, were you like this academically or in sports or? Yeah, but I was not a sports person, <laughs> believe it or not. The only thing I did in high school, I ran track and cross country. Mm -hmm. And that was because my boyfriend in high school ran and it was just like run with me you know and I was not really a big athlete yeah I'm still pretty bad at like sports I'm like who is that athlete what sport does he play like what team is that what kind of sport is that <laughs> but I do love live sports but I just I'm not good at, at guessing what certain things are so I was school-wise academic-wise I did great in school I didn't have to really try too hard I'm pretty quick at learning things I did great in school when it came to work though I think I don't know it, it was just something about I mean even as a teenager my mom actually living in LA 
she had a lot of random contacts from one of her bosses. He was a producer at the time. And so she put me in like acting school and being raised in LA, obviously I went, I did commercials and videos and some random modeling when I was younger. And that's kind of, I went to a high school that was kind of for kids and acting and I would started at nine and would get out at 11. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was really one-on-one kind of, I mean, there was, I graduated with five seniors total. The academics were great. It it was just like, I had a private tutor essentially for the last couple of years of high school. And, you know, I was busy working, you know, some of the time. And so, and so I just would always, you know, once I started making my own money, I think it was also, I saw how hard my mom worked to make sure that she provided for us that I think obviously that just is a pattern of mine that I was just like, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I don't lack it. I don't lack anything I need for life. And I think I'm very much that way with my son now too. And so, you know, whether it's like, okay, I need to make this much more money because I need to make sure that we can afford this or we can afford, you know, and so I think that that is just, it's a pattern, you know, we learn all our patterns from our parents. And so I think that's a good pattern as long as it's something that we can, you know, keep tabs on and not, you know, because there is a little bit of, you know, you could take that over the top a little bit. So, yeah, so I think that it, it's something that I, I, I have always been pretty determined when it comes to a set goal I have in mind and I'll do what it takes to kind of get there and get it done. If I have to stay up till two in the morning to finish reading contracts and wake up at seven to get my kid ready for school, I'm like, all right, I'll take a nap later or tomorrow night I'll get to bed at, at eight or nine instead, you know, even though that never happens, I just end up backing <laughs> up sleep. <laughs> and again, I always, you know, kind of work the best under pressure. So I, I think that I do end up I kind of let answers kind of come to me and I'm very much in alignment when it comes to like energetically what it feels right and what doesn't and with the universe. And I, if I don't have an answer, I don't feel like my gut doesn't feel like I know the answer yet. I kind of wait and sit and just, you know, let it come to me. So so that's sometimes why I think it feels like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting till the last minute, but it's because it's just the answer didn't really come to me yet. And you know, with what, yeah. So, well, and it it can sound like, oh, you know, the word you'd think of is like procrastination, but yeah. really I think it's it's actually a better sense of, of business timing, yeah. you know, and to be able to have that, like, you know, a lot of people can't handle that, like, I don't know yet energy, yeah. you know, or like, what is the answer? It's not here yet. And I think that, you know, some of the most successful business people I've listened to or know personally, they do have that sense of like, okay, if I don't know, like, I will wait. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, I don't need to jump at every opportunity just because I am I fear that it will be gone or that another one won't come along. It's like right. you have this sense of like knowing what your goal is and everything and being OK with like letting answers like hit you. And I think that that sense of timing is especially important for the fitness and wellness industry because, you know, similar to my husband works in restaurants and bars, it's like trends and different concepts and you know, what people want, like, that's a very fluid thing. And it changes over time. So you have to be kind of in touch with that and being like, okay, when do I move? When is early? When's right on the wave? How do we kind of react to some of these, you know, different changes? So I think that 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 intuition and timing, you know, can feel like things are happening last minute sometimes, but really, it's like your fingers on the pulse, and you're waiting for the right right moment. And trusting the trusting the universe is like, you know, everybody's like, Oh, what does that mean? Or trusting me? Like, I mean, sometimes there's, you know, there's times where I've been like about to sign a lease or about to, and I'm like, like right now, Mercury's in retrograde, right? I'm like, 
I'm like, I know you're going to feel this is ridiculous. Like if I'm talking to a landlord, I'm like, I totally agree on all the terms right now, but I just can't sign it because Mercury's in retrograde. It's going to be 10 more days. And they're like, okay. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I just want to just make sure that we're not going to go back on this. Just, you know, like, let's just make sure that we, you know, so. But it takes a large sense of confidence to be able to do that. So it's actually very admirable. And I agree with what Asha said. It's not only is it business timing, but I think patience is really hard across the board. I mean, we live in a time where everything is immediate, like we want instant gratification for everything. So to be able to have that little reminder that you can be extraordinarily successful, but like also listen to the cues and take your time. You don't have to jump on everything right away. You can still make headway by like following your intuition and listening to your gut and you know, being confident and trusting in yourself and trusting in the universe and not making decisions during Mercury retrograde. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or just any time that you don't feel like yeah. settled. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm curious. So you've mentioned your sister a couple of times. What is the age difference with you and your sister? Nine years. Nine oh, wow. years. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's younger or older? She's younger. Yeah, younger. She's younger. Yeah. Okay. What was your dynamic growing up? Were you close? That's obviously like a really substantial age gap. Yeah. And how are you like similar or different? What's she doing now? And, and how has that kind of changed over time? We're really different. Sometimes we don't, I don't even feel like we look alike. I mean, she's a makeup artist. So she's, you know, really, normally she's really done up, hair, makeup. I mean, she's gorgeous, but she's kind of blonde and really fair skinned where I'm tan, super tan and brunette. And so when we kind of hang out together, people are like, oh God, you guys are sisters. Like you could tell what our mannerisms and the way we talk. Cause I think that's very like that. We yeah. kind of have some similarities on, but out of a picture or something, I don't think people normally would guess that we were sisters. She was like my little baby doll. Like she, you know, I, I was nine, you know, when she was born. And so obviously growing up as she was a baby, I took care of my little sister a lot. And she was, you know, she was, I think my parents had her because I kept asking for a baby. And so then growing up, we were really, really close. She was, again, my little tiny sister. I, when I moved to Miami, she'd come and spend like a month or two with me in the summer. And I'd put her in like tennis camp and I'd, you know, pick her up. And she was like my, again, like back to being like my little daughter. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, went on, you know, for years while I was in Miami. Then when I got back, we kind of, over the last probably, I would say the last probably since my son's been born, she's been an amazing aunt and we've only gotten closer because she's, she's older now. She's evolved. She's learned a lot about herself. She wasn't like me. She, I, I mean, I moved out of my house when I was 16. So my, like out of my parents' house, my sister lives with my mom still now that she just moved back in. She moved back in after her and her boyfriend broke up. They were together for about five years. And then she moved back in with my mom recently because she travels a lot for work. And so she's really not home a lot. She'll get her own place eventually, I think soon. But she's like, why not just like she she wanted like her mom, you know, when you break up, yeah. like she wanted her mom and she wanted to be yeah. there. And so so she's back there now. Me, for instance, if that happened to me, I would definitely never move back into my house. I love my mom, but we like butt heads a lot. And I think that's just she likes to control. And so do I. And so I think that that's kind of what causes like, you know, friction. Yeah. So, so fun. my little sister is actually eight years younger than me. I'm the oldest of four, but Kara is like my little mini me. Little baby. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't, we have a lot of like dissimilarities in the ways that we look also, but same thing, like very similar mannerisms, 
But yeah, and it's funny, I'm laughing because when COVID started, my parents were like, hey, do you want to move back in? They were really gung-ho because there's like this wave of people moving back home yeah. to like work from home. Yeah, I, was like, totally. you. I was like, no, no, no. it will be a cold day. <laughs> no. I love you guys so much, but it's just not happening. Right. So. I have the same. I'm from like a really small town that's pretty far away. And every once in a while, you just kind of think like as you're in transitional moments or between relationships or whatever, I've had like those moments where I'm like, what if I just like went home? Yeah. I was like, oh gosh, like following that trail just gets darker and yeah. darker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and then I'm like, that would be the start of my spiral. I'm like, okay. yes, <laughs> definitely. Not. I don't know. But I also have friends whose parents like it. I yeah. mean, it's, it works for some people. For every scenario that it's, where it's been a fantastic situation and and something that a lot of people, young people are navigating right now, like maybe they didn't expect to be living with their parents for so long yeah, or, sure. or, you know, things with COVID like kind of switched everything up and they had to move home to save money or, or whatever, it, you know, their yeah. situations were. So, and I think for some yeah, people, like my sister works, she, she likes to be like taken care of and babied and I don't mind being taken care of and babied also, but like, I need my space. I need my, yeah. you know, my alone time, I, you know, so it's. It's different. Like my mom's like up in our face and our business all the time. So I just, I, <laughs> that it, it would not of work. independence though. And, you know, pioneer, that pioneering spirit. I feel like maybe that's just like the older sister. Yeah. I true. mean, although Asha, you have it too, for sure. And you're, you're, you're <laughs> I don't know. I, do, I also do like, I, I have that like independence and kind of like wild streak to me. But I feel like I also, there is a side of me that just like, I love like, Falling into my little sister role, too. Like, we were joking about my sister and I back when I was, like, before I got married and everything. It was, like, she she got married earlier than I did. And, like, we'd do everything, like, the two of them. And then I was, like, the third wheel. But I literally, like, when we would fly home for Thanksgiving and stuff, we had this running joke that I was, like, I would never check into my own flight. So I'd be, like, okay, Archie, like, here's my itinerary. I'll just expect her to, like, check me in. And she she thought it was so ridiculous. But I was, like, I kind of, like... I'm like now it's a thing <laughs> like I'm not gonna do it <laughs> you know have that like little sister energy also <laughs> yeah I love that I am so curious you sort of snuck in there that you moved out of your house when you were 16 yes. was there like yeah. a big thing that prompted it or were you just like I'm ready for the world a little bit of both I think again the controlling mom and my you know desire for independence came at a young age not only again part of it I think was her fault because she kind of threw me into not not on purpose but I mean she threw me into acting and work and I was making my own money by the time I was 14 15 and so I was like well you know you can't tell me what to do like I have my car now I have my own money like I'm just I'm gonna get my own place like and she was like what are you talking about you can't do that (laughs) and a lot of it also I think that my parents are now divorced they divorced actually when I moved to Miami when I was about 19, they divorced. They fought a lot. And they're like, they're very like passionate people. And, you know, they would bicker and argue. And 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 it was always like fighting and yelling. And that's kind of like, just like, I just thought that that was normal. It wasn't, it wasn't anything crazy, but it was just like, always like noise. And, oh, you know, yeah. and it's, I mean, we we're a small family. It was up until my, you know, up until I was nine or 10, my sister was a baby, you know, she was just had been born. But so we were a pretty small family, but it was just, a lot of commotion, a lot of, you know, at tense energy. And, and so I think that, you know, coupled with the fact that I was making my own money, driving my own car at that point, thought I was misindependent. I just, yeah, I ended up, I ended up moving out and 
probably tried to come back. I think when I was 17, I tried to move back in <laughs> for about a month or two. That didn't work. So I kind of, for those two and a half years where I moved out of my parents' house, I moved in originally with a girlfriend of mine, moved into like this like little duplex in Venice before Venice was what it is now. And this was, so this was back in, oh God, 1996. <laughs> and then moved to like a friend's, me and my girlfriend moved in together at a place in off of Wilshire. And so finally, you know, I, I just, at that point I was like, I can't go back to my mom's house now. Like this is just, you know. And so when I went to Miami to visit, I ended up falling in love with it so much. I was like, I want to move here like soon. I don't know when, but soon. And so I would go back and I'd stay for like a month. And again, this is when I was like doing commercials and things like that. I hadn't, I wasn't in real estate. I was just, just doing commercials and that's how I was making my money. And so I'd be able to take like, you know, three weeks and go to Miami for three weeks and then come back. And I know I'd have a job lined up when I got back. So I'd fly home for the job and then, you know, do the job and then go back out to my, so I was kind of like doing a lot of that back and forth for a while. And then finally, when I was 19, I ended up moving there, meeting my boyfriend at the time and. And then we got engaged and that didn't last, but uh, we did. We were together for about five years and then I moved back this way, moved back to California. So was it in Miami that you decided on real estate? Yes. Yeah. My fiance at the time when I was there, it was in real estate. And so he was in commercial real estate, but he also just liked, you know, we were buying like houses and flipping them together and remodeling them and. And so I got my license when I was there because I would in the beginning when I first moved there fly home and come out for castings and then fly back and then, you know, book a job and then have to fly back. And then it was just this constant like, you know, I'm like this, I can't do this. Like I need it. And Miami was, it's very, it's a very Latin market and I speak Spanish and everything. So I, I mean, I, I guess I could have gone into, I don't know, shooting some telenovelas if I wanted to. <laughs> But it just, I, I never really wanted to be an actress. It was something my mom kind of threw me into and I enjoyed it because it was making me, m making me money at the time. But I just, I don't know, it wasn't really something I really enjoyed doing. So, so I kind of started thinking about real estate because he was buying houses. We were remodeling them together. I was like, this is so fun. Like I just loved it. And, and then I would show the house and I would basically do the work for the real estate agent. I'm like, I'm just going to get my license. And so, and so that's kind of how the real estate thing kind of surfaced. And then while I was there, I ended up doing residential sales for, you know, like developers and working for, you know, some high rise buildings and doing their in-house re residential sales and, and then got into a little, you know, retail and then moved around. Did you find yourself like really enjoying your role as a real estate agent or were you still kind of searching for something? Because I think from earlier on, you also mentioned that you started taking yoga in Miami and that's where you started to fall in love with it. So how did that transition pan out for you? It was definitely, I mean, I, I love sales. I think obviously owning a business and especially a service-based business, a part of it is sales and knowing how to, so, so I think I, I have a very strong sales, you know, I'm really strong in just sales in general, but I think that when I was doing the real estate, I enjoyed it, but there there was something I was I was missing something. There was not like it wasn't fulfilling me, and so what was at the time I would just remember like kind of just the, my the best part of my day was when I was doing yoga and I was doing it at home and I had my private you know sessions at home with my yoga instructor and she's this really like hippie girl that lived in Topanga Canyon that like went to Burning Man every year and you know 
traveled and did all, but you know, we just had a consistent practice and, and it was the best part of my day. And so I just was like, this is what I want to be doing. And this is what I want to be providing for people. Right. And so just this type of feeling, and that's kind of where it stemmed from. I was like, well, this is what I want to do. I either want to teach yoga or have a yoga studio or, you know, and so then I started to kind of my business mind kind of went into like, okay, well, let's put a business plan together and kind of see where this goes. And my first business plan before the yoga thing was actually a dog accessory company that my friend had. And we were going to open like a store because he just manufactured them and would sell to stores. Uh-huh. And so it was, it was going to be that. And I put the business plan together and I was like, it's like fun for a minute, but it's not really, yeah, again, like it's not fulfilling. Longevity. Yeah. Yeah. That, this is so interesting. I mean, you've clearly like you do have a knack for sales. I'd love to kind of break that down for some of our younger audience where they might not know they have an inclination towards sales because a sales career is definitely, it is different from going to work, you know, within like a company or kind of team-based things or all, I mean, there's so many different kind of, you know, approaches to a career. I mean, the sales career is like a very, it takes a very specific skill set and resilience. Can you kind of break down like the earliest signs that you were into sales or would be good at sales and how you kind of like cultivated that as you got older? Yeah, I think, like I said, when we would show the houses that we were redoing is, I think when you're really, and obviously I think a sales position, you really have to be into what it is you're selling, you know? And mm-hmm. so it, I was because we were redoing these houses. So we were picking the counters. We were, do, you know, and so it was just like when I was showing it, I was like excited about it. And so when I think you're excited about something, it's it's not even sales anymore. It just becomes mm-hmm. like, listen, I made this. I created this. I made this. I put this together for you. And you're going to love it just as much as I do. Like, and this is why. And so I right. think when you kind of present things that way and you really own it and believe it. And you've actually, you're the one that actually put it together. It's, it's super easy to, it, it just doesn't feel like sales anymore. It feels like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm giving you this special thing that I made that I love. And I know you're going to love too. And so it just, it doesn't, so it is sales, but I think that yeah. it's just also kind of just enthusiasm, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like and, being and, able to get on board with something. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because I think about you know, obviously I in real estate now, which is sales. Yeah. But I also similarly have a background in, you know, modeling and acting. And I feel like part of like the brands that kept rehiring me over and over again, there were usually brands where I was like, I believed in the brand, you yeah. know. And I think that came across in whatever work you were doing and surely probably had to come across in the audition. Yeah. At some point. But where I was like, Oh yeah, like this is a brand that like I love being on set with them. Like everyone's like, you know, friendly and we're working together and I enjoy this and I believe in this company and everything. And then they keep rehiring you, you know? And I think without realizing, I was like, this is kind of like actually a salesy thing because for each of these different brands and it's different each time, it doesn't have to be the same thing. Like like, I can go work for, you know, Panasonic, you know, and really like vibe with that brand and this product or whatever. Or I can be, you know, modeling for a yoga company, which I would later go work in marketing for, you know? Right. But being able to like take on something, believe in it and then be like, "I I can share this thing, you know, because I think there's value there. And I think that before, when I was younger and in college and stuff, and I would hear like, oh, would you like, would you like to go into a sales, you know, career? I was always like, ooh, like, well, you think no. of like car salesmen or <laughs> yeah. like, I don't yeah. know, you know, or like, like, like faking people out or, sh- or telling yes, them that yeah. like, like trying to trick people into buying yeah. something. That's how I always thought about sales when I was in college. Mm-hmm. But now that I like have actually experienced some more sales related roles, I'm like, oh, you know, I think that if you're 
if you're a good salesperson, you realize the value of like finding, if you're going to sell something, it better be something that you believe in and you're behind, you know, and it can exude from you. Matching the, the buyer with the service or the product or whatever yeah, exactly. it is, like finding the right person that needs that service or that product or, you know, is obviously key as well. Like, I'm not going to try right. it, you know, I don't That's know. That's such a great point. And like knowing your audience, knowing your demographic. Yeah. Because I think when I think about like what my exposure was to uh -huh. like, quote unquote, sales, like as a teen, like if you had asked me, then I would have been like, okay, well, when I go to the store and this person sells me like a t-shirt, but it's so different when you're actually selling like an idea or a brand or a lifestyle and you're doing it at this like higher level, I think to get to that level, like you said, you have to like think about who you're doing it for. And like Asha said, what the product is and like, is this going to be of value to that person mm -hmm. as opposed to like, hi, like, let me sell you something. Yeah. Then it's like, I can just like lie yeah. my way into tricking you to pay some for something for, for yeah. sure. you know, which I mean, there are all, there are all sorts of sales. There are great snake the oil salesmen out there. They exist. <laughs> but, for yeah. sure. but this is the way to but do it authentically. I'm so curious because like, I feel like with sales, you know, it works when you are actually genuinely passionate about something and you want to share it. But I think the inevitable thing about sales is that you will face a lot of rejection, you know, or like things won't work or like, you have to try a lot to, you know, sometimes like find this, the equations that work or the formulas that work and bring right. the right people together. How do you, especially having turned like your passion into a business, how do you kind of temper that, that passion and enthusiasm with like perseverance and getting through failures and pivoting and, and everything like that? Well, I think a lot of that is also building the right team. Mm. And that's kind of what I was going to talk about next is that I, I feel like, you know, not only then I have this, you know, this dream, this idea that I wanted to put together, but now it's like, okay. And, and it's taken some time to kind of build like the right team. And I think that, you know, you have to be really present. You have to be really one-on-one -on -one a lot with your staff and with the people that are your representatives for that product or that service or whatever it is. And so, you know, when we hire new front desk people, let's say at one of my studios, like a lot of the times they're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we're trying to sell them, you know, the unlimited membership. Like, and I'm like, actually, no, I don't want the majority of my clients. I don't want them on the highest membership. I want longevity. I want them to be happy with the service and, and they're going to burn out if they're like trying to get the most bang for their buck on this unlimited package. Like, and I kind of compare it to me, like we, we have like packages that are memberships and auto renewing packages, but then we have packages that we call commitment phobes. And so that's kind of like, I'm a little bit of a commitment phobe. And I, I, anytime before I owned studios, when I would go to studios, I was a 10 pack girl. I'd buy 10 packs. They don't expire. I can go as like when I wish. And, you know, I just free up the 10 pack when I'm ready because there's times in my life when I can consistently go to two, three classes a week. And there's times in my life where I'm lucky if I get two or three classes in a month. And so we kind of teach the team that we have to make sure that they're asking the client the right questions when they're coming in on their new member special. Like, what is it they're looking for? What's their lifestyle? Like, how many times a week do they want to come in? And usually our new member special that we have or introductory special that we have for our clients it is a way for them. It's four sessions and it's a way for them to kind of gauge themselves and for us to kind of gauge when we talk to them next. Like, okay, you used all four sessions in a week. Is that like what you plan on doing? Or were you just excited and trying to kickstart your team? Or there's people that use all four sessions in a month, right? They're coming in once a week. And so that's kind of, I, I train my team to kind of look out for that, look at their attendance and, and 
you know, ask them if they're doing anything else workout wise, if they're wanting to combo this with something and really understanding their needs before they go offering like these are our memberships. You should sign up for this unlimited special. Like, no, I don't I don't want you to sell the unlimited special. I want you to avoid selling the unlimited special and actually sell them what it is that they want. So, or right. with, you know, so I think understanding the client, whatever you're selling, it doesn't matter what, again, whether it's a service or, you know, is really understanding what it is they want with real estate. Like, okay, what are you really looking for? You, you know, do you want a pool? Do you want a view? Do you want, you know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms? Like what, you know, what's, so just understanding their needs and the, and the, and the vibe and the community that they want to live in is obviously what I think is going to help, you know, zone in, you know, the actual zone in the deal. And so what a great concept too, like developing trust yeah. with your consumer in order to create like a lasting relationship. I, yeah. I just think that that's like the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we know that approach to fitness is kind of, it's, it is innovated in and of itself. Cause you have so many fitness companies out there that are like, okay, like around the new year, like everyone's going to be wanting to make yeah. resolutions. So let's like do this this time and, you know, ride that wave and everything. And Instead, you're kind of taking, again, returning to that patience and kind of like intuitive listening, yeah. you know, skill that you have cultivated over time yeah. that it's like, no, let's like actually listen to our customer and and help them to create something that's sustainable for them based on where they're at right now yeah. and what they can do, you know, and listening for that rather than being like, here's what you should do. Right. And then and being OK when it's like it does, it's not for them, you know, like. And so, yes, there is going to be like, you know, we have our team, you know, make touch calls. You know, I, I try not to call it sales calls because it's just it doesn't sound right. I, I was like, you're not like call, you're not cold calling people. These are people that came to us that want to be a part of this community or that really want to try to be a part of this community. They're not sure yet. So it's your job to kind of ask the right questions to see how they're feeling. Maybe they had a bad experience with their first instructor. Maybe they played a song that triggered them. Maybe they didn't like a move because this class was all bunch of like core exercises and their core is really weak and you know their legs are really strong so they should try you know so just like kind of making sure that you understand what their first or second experience was and explain to them the possibility of something else and you know maybe after their third fourth time they're just it's still not right for them and and that's okay you know like it's not every fitness you know modality is right for everyone and so I think that you know and that's why like we encourage people to try to do other things we really the first thing we usually try to offer them is just once a week, like come in once mm -hmm. a week, start with that. And so we always say you can always upgrade to the next package because people are like, I want the unlimited. I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, why don't you try twice a week first? Like, you know, you only came once a week right. on your on your new member intro. Why don't you start with twice a week? And then we'll let you know. And we usually keep tabs of people when they're coming in like, hey, you came in two extra times this month. So you probably should upgrade to the next package, you know. And so just kind of being on top of, you know, the the customer and their and their experience. I think super important. No, how important. And I, I love to the other point you made was, you know, your your staff and the people that you're hiring and how you kind of instill some of these values and and teach them how to like, you know, create that feedback system with the clients. I've noticed obviously because I frequent both of your studios, yeah. all of your businesses, I'm a big fan. Oh. But a lot of your your staff is young, you know, and I also think like similar to what you know my husband in, uh, experiences in the bar and restaurant industry is that for some people working as like a fitness instructor or as a reception person, that's, it's sort of like a, it's not always a life career for yeah. people. So you're kind of dealing with people in this like young kind of transitional phase of life. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you have older, you know, instructors that are, you know, this is what they do. Yeah. They're, you know, epic, but 
what are your like your challenges working with younger people or people in the fitness industry? Like, what do you enjoy about that the most? The differences. People are they're from like you said, they're all ages. They're all over the spectrum when it comes to what they're doing with their life or their career. Some, you know, when some of the younger ones are still in school or, you know, have another, you know, career on the side, but they love fitness and they're just kind of doing this as a side gig. Some of the older ones are possibly like retired already or not working and that this is what they're doing, you know, just to kind of keep themselves, keep themselves, in, you know, busy and, and passionate about something because they do enjoy working out and and that they don't necessarily, maybe they're retired and they don't need to necessarily work, but they want to, you know, spend their time doing something fulfilling because teaching somebody something, what, whatever it is, is so fulfilling. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what it is, right? And then on top of that, when you're teaching somebody something that's making them healthier, it's even that much more fulfilling. So, and, you know, the majority, I would say 99% of the time, people are walking out of our studios, like feeling way better about themselves. And that's just the best feeling. You know, well, you're one of the reasons why that, assisted that, you know, and so I think that kind of makes people feel really good. And the, I think the younger people who are working for us that are maybe a little bit more like front desk, I think a lot of them plan to just work, you know, part time or temporarily or whatnot. And, and there's been a lot that just stay on for years because mm -hmm. they're just love, you know, and they were like, God, I didn't think I was going to be on here to stay here for this many years, you know, and, and I think that's a sign of like a really good environment. And so yeah, we we really we try to kind of weed out when we interview and when we kind of meet with people, we kind of try to weed out like, oh, I'm just here for the summer. You know, I, I don't want to invest. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I wish she was here. You know, I wish she lived here. I wish she was here because she has such a great personality and she's so yeah. bubbly and she'd be amazing at the front desk. But I don't, I'm not going to invest our time training her because then she's leaving. Right. So we definitely try to weed people out that we know are not going to stick around because it's then it's a cycle and it's just you keep you know yeah. training and it's spending your whole time and and our managers are pretty amazing that we we have in place now and obviously it falls on them now more than us so I think we've trained them to understand like don't just pick the first person just because you love her smile or you right. love his voice or whatever like you know really take your time to get to know what their what their their next year plan is because it otherwise it makes you spend a lot of time training and then not you know I think it's really nice to be able to cultivate an environment to suit, you know, the population that you're serving as well. It's like if you're creating a community that's about, you know, sustainability and about coming back in and about listening to your body, like I feel like it would be so nice to walk in and see the same people and the same faces yeah. because there's a sense of comfort and familiarity in that. For sure. And I also really like how you talk about training your employees and staff not to do things in such a sterile way where you like call things sales calls but to just kind of reframe it in a way that you're like no we're reaching out to just figure out what you know these customers like or need or you know what they're looking for from us because ultimately like if you have a well-trained salesperson just like you know sales in and of itself sounds like such a specific thing but when you really think about it those skills you can really take anywhere with you it's like being able to like walk into a room and talk to anyone it develops a lot of confidence and and so yeah. that's really cool yeah and I mean I think especially in something like a fitness studio like to people who really connect to fitness and have like established a long-term relationship with fitness 
you know, I think that they start seeing it as like their, their sanctuary, their special space, their time Mm -hmm. for themselves. And I think, I mean, I've had the experience of walking into your studios and, you know, I don't even have to, you know, even after just a few times, or even if I'm not coming like every single day, it's like once a week, every once in a while, like when I walk in, they're like, oh, Asha got you, you're checked in, you know? And it's like, like, okay, that makes, (laughs) and that's just, that's not even the teacher, you know, who I've been to several times. Like that's a girl at reception. And that means something that like, everyone's kind of like, you know, they see you and they recognize you coming in and it feels good. And honestly, like it makes you want to come back. It makes you feel like home. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all those little soft touch things, like when you're, you're thinking about creating a business, it's not always super evident. And, you know, you might be thinking about, okay, like what kind of like lights or what does our brand look like? And like the equipment and the rooms and the location and all these things. But like, it's when you're building a a service, you know, like a, like a fitness studio, those little things that it takes a long time to find the right people and instill those values and, and share how important it is to do those little things. Yeah. Like the lights and the hydraulics are very fun, but I love what <laughs> an instructor is like, oh, I noticed you're getting a lot stronger in this movement or like yes. your arms uh, improved yeah. so much over the last couple of classes. And you're like, yes, yes, it has. Lots to get here. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's very meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Recognition and the growth is definitely a big, yeah. you know, and I think that's, yeah. And I think that takes place across like everybody on the team, right? Not just the trainers. Like it, it is also the front desk people because they get to know the clients. And, you know, if a client gets there early, they ask questions. And we do have like a pretty good sized retail shop at Ekum. So, yeah. So it's, you know, then they get to know, like when you shop, you kind of get to know people even a little bit more, you know, when they're, when they're shopping mm-hmm. for apparel and stuff. So, so yeah, it's nice when I see like the interaction and you always have like, you know, some of the clients are bringing the front desk girls like, you know, little treats or oh, the I front desk that. girls will know like someone's birthday is coming. So they'll get them at a balloon or what, you know, and so it, it's nice to kind of see that that community. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, before we kind of like start wrapping up, I do want to highlight the fact that you are a mom, you know, and I'd love to kind of go into that that phase of life when you were literally like having Kingston because it sounds like it was close to when you were opening up all of these businesses. So can you like tell us a little bit about like that period of life for you and like the order in which things happened and how you kind of find that? Because obviously, you know, being the point person for these businesses, it's demanding. You know, yeah. if you have a lot of people waiting on you and wanting to get your opinion on things, but you also, you know, you're such a great mom to your son. So I'd love to hear a little bit about like that dynamic and whether, you know, it was easy for you at moments or took some bumpy road, like how was it for you? I love being a mom. That is like, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. Like that's, you know, I consider myself a mom before I consider myself anything else. That's the most important role that takes precedence over everything. You know, usually on the days that I have my son, me and my my husband, we have 50-50 custody. So the days that I have my son, it's after pickup, there's no work. Like I am like, you know, if I answer a text, sure, but it's usually like, you know, from three to bedtime, that's his time. And so, and then on the weekends that I have him, same thing. So it's pretty nice to be able to have that. Originally, I had a tough time, obviously, going through my divorce and opening the businesses and selling the business. That all kind of happened at the same time. My son was born in 2015. In 2017 was right when I was putting together my business plan for my new businesses and 
putting together a plan to sell my old businesses and also deciding whether I wanted to get a divorce or not. And this, wow, my son was about two. And so we kind of, that 2017 was the worst, hardest, I shouldn't say the worst, the hardest year of my life, even harder than pandemic. <laughs> so when 2020 came around, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, small potatoes. I got it. I got it. So 2017 was pretty challenging. Me and his dad at the time decided, you know, we're, we're going to try for another couple of years here or not for another couple of years. I just said, we're going to try to kind of work things mm-hmm. out and stay together. And I think a part of that was it was the one thing I could hold together while the rest of the world was like the businesses I was dealing with and opening and closing or selling or whatever. It was just so much chaos going on that I was like, you know what, this is my personal life is something I can kind of have somewhat, again, the word control, like control of. So I'm just going to keep it in a nice little box for now. My baby was just two. I had just finished breastfeeding. And so I'm like, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'm just going to, I'm going to give it another chance and see how this goes and then deal with all this business shit first. Let that all kind of, you know, land and let the dust settle. And then I'll, you know, kind of circle back to, you know, my relationship with the father of my child. And so that's kind of for the next two years after that, 2019 was finally when I was like, okay, um, I think we need to separate. And I think that's finally, again, the dust settled with work. You know, things were kind of grooving with work. Both of us were pretty busy. And and at that point, it was just a decision that I made based on, I just felt like probably, I probably should have made that decision back in 2017. You know, for whatever reason, I didn't. You know, the universe just maybe didn't want that to happen. It might have been too much for me to handle. So in 2019 was when I decided to get a divorce and separate from my husband at the time. And that was pandemic hit, right? So 2020 comes in. I was in the middle of expanding Box House. I had, you know, was dealing with the divorce. I had two new studios that I just signed on to Long Beach and Brentwood at the time. And then pandemic hit. And so it was a very challenging time. But I think we do a really good job, me and and my son's husband, my son's father get along really well. And so we kind of managed to, you know, we're still very amicable. I mean, we're better friends now than we ever were. So it's really easy to co-parent. He's an amazing dad. He, you know, like I said, he has uh, custody. We have 50-50 custody. So same with him when it comes to Kingston's time. I mean, he's all in with Kingston. And so it's really nice having a co-parent that is that on because I have friends of mine have heard terrible stories, horror stories about just the engagement and the, you know, the lack of engagement, I should say, from, you know, the, the dad. And it's so sad, but I really consider me and Kingston very lucky that he is just such a really amazing dad. So it's really been able to give me the balance I need to have like, you know, again, my full blown focus on him when I have my time with him and be like the amazing mom that I strive to be. And then also now I have that separate time to really focus on work and do that the other time. So it's been pretty nice. It was very challenging in the beginning. But yeah, I think with everything else, it kind of once, once all the pieces kind of fall into place, you kind of start to kind of get into a little bit of a groove with life and then the changes that happen. And so, so yeah, I think with time, it took me some time to kind of get it to a place where I feel comfortable and in a groove. But I think as of now, as long as no other, you know, there are some balls up in the air right now. So as long as no other balls, not as long as I don't drop any other balls, I'm in a groove at this moment. (laughs) Well, I think that regardless of what happens, you just, I mean, and it's probably so evident to anyone listening, but you have this, you have just like a grace about you and the way that you kind of 
handle things and and how you're able to even kind of like that decision to be like, okay, I have these things happening in my business right now. Like I'm having these feelings about my marriage. And instead of being like, you know, in the moment being like, we have to do this, or this is what I'm going to do, especially having a kid, you know, being able to kind of be like, all right, I'm going to watch this and see what happens. And then, I mean, I don't know, it's different for probably every marriage is unique, but I'm curious, like giving yourself you know, the two of you, that time to kind of like really be sure, like, what should we do here? Do you think that that fed into, you know, it being as successful of a co-parenting situation as it is today, like taking your time to kind of be like, this is how we're going to do this? For sure it did. And then on top of that, the pandemic, it took us another two years to actually get a divorce. Like my divorce just finalized four months ago. So, and, and again, it wasn't, it's because we didn't rush. Like, and it's not because I didn't rush because I didn't want it because two years to almost the date that I asked for the divorce. And it's funny, I just quite realized that. And it was about two years yeah. exactly after I we considered, you know, separating. But two years almost to the date on both of those occurrences that happened, it gave us both the time to kind of, you know, adjust to the possible changes that were going to take place. And so, and with the pandemic, that obviously slowed everything down that, was, you know, he was going through some work changes as well and some personal stuff. And so I think me allowing him to have that space. And again, not because I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want a divorce. Because when I make a decision, I am like, you know, I might take my time to make the decision. Mm -hmm. But when the decision is made, I am like crystal clear. And so when that happened in 2019, when I was like, okay, I want to I want to separate. We'll see where this goes. January 2020, I was like divorce. Like it is a divorce. There is no turning back, I want a divorce. And so it wasn't like a wishy-washy situation for the last two years. It was just, it just took time and- Right, to evolve. Yeah, and I think it kind of helped us both settle and and realize like at first I was very, I think I was struggling with the fact that I'd have to give up 50% of the time with my son. Like I was like, there's no way, like I'm not, no. Like, and he's like, well, why not? Like, I am a great dad. Like, and you know, part of it was like, well, no, this is your fault. We're getting divorced. So I'm keeping the kid and you don't, you can see him what you know. And so it was, I know obviously that's not realistic. That's not fair. But so it took me a minute to kind of, again, get into that groove and feel like comfortable and confident that not only was he going to do a good job, but that we were going to be able to, you know, co-parent and still have, you know, some time together as a family, which we do. And I think over the last two years, we almost had too much family time where it kind of caused our son a little confusion. Like, why aren't you guys living together? Like, what's, you know, and so explaining to a, a then five-year-old, six-year-old, like, you know, now he's going to be seven, but explaining to him like, okay, we're getting a divorce and this is what happens when you divorce. And having some role models that have been divorced and remarried, such as his dad's mom. So his grandma is remarried and happily remarried. They've been married for, I don't know how long now. And so making him understand like, oh, like grandma Sherry, she, you know, was divorced from dad's dad and now she's remarried and that's dad's stepdad and look how happy they are. And, you know, and so kind of making him understand like, oh, okay. So it's, it's normal. This happens sometimes. And I'm like, unfortunately, right. unfortunately, yes, it, it's normal. And unfortunately it does happen sometimes. And, you know, it doesn't change the way we feel about you. Mom and dad still love you. And we st- we're always going to be a family. Like, doesn't matter like what, what other people come into our lives. Like, me and your dad are always going to be your mom and dad. And that's it. And so, you know, having that clarity, you know, as a family, obviously we've gone to family therapy. We still, you know, we still all go to like a family therapist, you know, and just do a check-in. So it, it's nice to be able to kind of have that good communication and some good boundaries. Yeah. And to create that kind of as a, 
even in these like changes, it, it, you know, he feels safe as a child, which I feel like is like, you know, the most, yeah. most important thing for, for sure. young, young children. So thank you for sharing that. I know it's more personal, oh, but no, I think okay. that it is so important to, you know, every business person has something, there's other things going on in their life. Yeah. And while you're balancing some of these other things, and especially like running a fitness studio during a pandemic, you know, yeah. to also be navigating these other life changes, it's like, that's just very real. And that's the experience that I think is valuable for people to to hear and learn from. For sure. And I love so much how this theme of patience and really trusting in yourself and not having to rush through major life decisions has really lent to a lot of your success like you know and confidence in those decisions too even in the midst of chaos which I get the sense that you like to have control over situations what gave you that idea (laughs) (laughs) you do a great job of managing your own expectations and managing how these very unpredictable and uncontrollable scenarios can really play out by just sort of focusing on what can I do? And that is I can be patient. I can calculate like my next move and I can take my time making the best decision for myself, my son, my businesses. And I I think that's really evident in your success and in the multiple businesses that you run and your wonderful, healthy son and your, your amazing co-parenting situation. I mean, Amazing. those are not easy things to cultivate. Uh, and I think it com- it stems from just having a lot of life experiences. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, I, I'd moved around a lot. I lived in different places. I was engaged twice before I actually got married. I, you know, there were loves and, you know, that didn't go the way that I wanted. And I had walked away from because I knew that wasn't for me. And I think a lot of that, like, I don't look at them as like failures. I look at them as experiences. And as long as you learn from an experience, whether it's sad or happy or, you know, heartbreaking, if you're learning something from it and growing, like if you're growing yourself, like I think that's just brings you up to the next level. Yeah. And can help you deal with a lot of things that get thrown at you. So I think that's where the patience comes from. (laughs) I love that so much. That is such a valuable perspective. I love it. Well, I feel like we could, I mean, we could just have girls night and just chat with you all night. You're so approachable. Oh, you guys. And I think it comes across in obviously in your studios, the way that you train people, the leadership that you have in your businesses and in your friendships and your personal life is you're just a very grounded person and you're able to kind of make measured decisions. So yeah, so this has been so fun. I guess we can kind of head into we do like a fast five to round out and they don't have to be like fast answers but we like <laughs> to try to like frame the questions in a way that you can kind of just say what comes to mind okay. so I can start with the first one I know we touched on it a couple times but if you could name one or two things or innovations or pivots that you made during the pandemic as an owner of a fitness studio that got you through the pandemic what would they be? Okay. One is obviously, I think everybody's probably first answer is on demand. (laughs) We started offering on demand and I hate live, you know, classes like that. So it's just the struggle for me to accept that that's something we had to do, but I'm like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And I don't think our teachers really enjoyed it either because that's not what our business was built on. So we never really went officially down. Like it wasn't like we were going to change our business and just do that. Because our yeah. our brick and mortar, our real life business is success is was a success. So I, it wasn't like, oh, well, that was already failing. So I may as well just go down this route. Like I really wanted to. My goal was always to come back to that. But as soon as we can open, we're, we're back. So yeah. that was one. And then the second 
pivot is actually what we're doing now, which is my original plan was to grow on our own and to self-fund our growth by these locations that we opened, being the Long Beach and the Brentwood studios. And I didn't even kind of touch on that because it's, it's a whole long other story, but we kept those alive and open for the last two years. Although my Long Beach studio opened 10 days before the pandemic hit, like doors open 10 days before the pandemic, pandemic hit. And then I signed my Brentwood lease, the one in LA, about 30 days before the pandemic hit. So oh we were gosh. in construction. So I was like, shit, what are we going to do? And so, you know, the, oh, two weeks, flatten the curve, then the two months, then it was like yeah. the year. And then, I'm, okay. And so we kind of like just kept, you know, these studios alive. And obviously like you still have to pay rent, like when yeah. you don't have clients and you don't have like a base, like you don't, you've never even opened your doors. Like It was impossible. And I think I kind of fought against it for so long. I was like, no, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to stick it through. And at this point now, we pivoted to go down this franchise road because I was like, well, you know what? Let's just bring in some capital, bring in some investors. This is my baby. I didn't want to really open up that door yet. But I was like, you know what? It's fine. Like, this is a different time now. Things have changed and I got to kind of pivot and make a new path for our business. And let's just go down this franchise road with with some investors versus on our own. And so that was a big change. And that's a, a change that we're in the in the process of now. So. Wow. Love it. Two bold moves. And I mean, to, to be able to even approach a franchise model, you have to have such a clear, you know, brand yeah. and identity, which you created, established and maintained through the pandemic. Because I, I remember, you know, it was hard for people that like our fitness people mm -hmm. that like to go to studios and have that community to be like, crap, I can't be around those people. I can't have that thing that would keep me sane I anymore. I remember I, I would do the Instagram live you yeah, know, box house workouts with Andre. And, and it made me being pregnant at the time, you know, in my backyard, I was like, okay, like this is one piece of normalcy. Yeah. And I knew I was like, this is clearly they're not, you know, making immediate money yeah. off of Instagram live. Yeah. I'm like, but it does, it feels like they're making an effort Stay to connected. to create a solution yeah. and keep this until it's over. Right. You yeah. know, we and just wanted like, to we'll keep, you keep soon, the community gonna, like, connected. Stay in yeah. 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 Yes. And it was very effective yeah. in, in my opinion yeah. for that. So. Speaking of workouts, what is your favorite personal workout? Pilates, for sure. <laughs> Pilates, yeah. And that's obviously the modality that I teach. It's just, it's my favorite. So good. So good. <laughs> Do you remember like a single moment as a business owner that you felt like you had officially like made it? What was your big, your first big win as a business owner? When I opened up my Pilates Plus studio, the first one here in Orange County in Newport Beach, we opened up. The first day, sold out classes, like hit our, you know, one year goal, like what we would be making every month. Like once we hit a year, we hit it in our like second month. It was, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, something, there's here. something here, you know, and I think Orange County at the time was kind of lacking, like just like cool one-off, you know, individual type of boutique fitness. They have, you know, <laughs> I think Yaz was the only thing that was here at the time. And so again, that was back in 2008, 2009. So it was definitely like a, a wow moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have a morning or evening go-to routine? A morning or evening? My, my now it's a, it's kind of a newish. I mean, I guess over the last year or two, I, I have my green tea, like oat milk thing that I make that I just, if I don't have it like with me to, on a to-go cup, I kind of <laughs> feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it kind of, it does something soothing about it. 
And then Alexa reminds me every day. I hope she doesn't go on right now because I just said her name. But she reminds me every morning <laughs> um, when I'm having breakfast with my son and when he's not here also, but every morning at eight o'clock to take five deep breaths. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's something that happens every morning, eight o'clock. And so me and my son, while we're eating usually breakfast before school, like we're breathing together because sometimes in, in the rush <laughs> oh. in the morning, like I'm getting breakfast ready yeah. and I'm like fiddling with stuff. And then, I, and then she comes on and says that I'm like, yeah. that's actually so such good. a great idea. I should tell my phone to do that. Yes. <laughs> and then at night I have her remind me at 7 p.m. every night, which is about an hour before his bedtime. What are you grateful for? I have her ask me that oh. question. And so usually, again, we're either finishing up dinner or, you know, finishing up his bath. And so she'll ask, she'll say, what are we grateful for? And we both have to answer at least one thing that we're grateful oh, for. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Just like taking this technology that I always like, I still kind of see Alexa as like sort of insane. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like turning into like mindfulness yes. practice. I love yeah. it. That's innovation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it. For number five, do you have a favorite book, movie, place you visited, any place that's like inspired you as of recent, something that you've drawn inspiration from? I mean, I went to Israel this last year. It was actually right towards the end of the pandemic. And I might been to Israel before, but I never experienced it this way because there was no tourists and you could go to these like sacred places with literally no one there. And I think a big, you know, shocking moment when I was there was, I think that really made me realize how affected the rest of the, I mean, I, you know, we live in this little bubble. It made me realize how affected the rest of the world was with this pandemic and, you know, and how, how much they count on just the flow of energy from, you know, tourists and travel and, and how we've gotten so accustomed, I think, to, it, it's so easy to travel now and it's so easy to kind of get around that I think when that kind of halted, it just, it kind of made everybody like realize like how quickly we couldn't, you know, lose anything and everything. So it was a big eye opener that it's not just, it's not just me. It's not just us here. Yeah. It's, it's the whole world. Yeah. It's, yeah. Bring it back to that global community perspective. Yeah. yeah. So we love to end our interviews on a final question. And I pose this one to you. What was one quality you had as a young woman that you might not have taken pride in then, but that you look back at and really appreciate now? My bossiness. Yes. <laughs> I think that sometimes bossiness gets like, you know, a bad rap. But I think when you deliver that type of, you know, that attitude or that, you know, with love and grace and compassion, you know, it's because of certain expectations you have, right? And so I think having high expectations is a great thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think if, as long as you're using that quality or that you have with, you know, with some awareness, I think every quality, you know, could be taken overboard and be turned into something not so great. But I think as long as you have awareness about, you know, the limitations on that, it, it's a good thing. <laughs> Powerful. I love it. Well. As we're wrapping up, where can our listeners find you, learn more about your studios, your mission, your life? My studios, uh, my, my Instagram, even though I'm private, but my studios, Ekam Yoga and Pilates, that's the website, ekamyogapilates.com. And usually I do accept like friends of friends and followers like that. I just, just don't like to have like random people following me. But if it's a friend of a friend, then, you know, then I, I usually will allow it in, to come in. So Vanessa Born 3 is my Instagram. 
And yeah, but I'm usually at the studios. I teach still. I love teaching Tuesdays and Thursdays. I think I will never yes. stop teaching. Great class. Thank you. So Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. Yeah. You can find me at Actum and then Box House. I'm there usually Mondays and Wednesdays. So yeah. And stay tuned for that franchise expansion. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your story, Vanessa. You, this was just such a pleasure and we really appreciate you being on and we'll see you again very soon. Yep. See you soon. Bye guys. Right. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like subscribe to follow and share meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?